Hey everyone, this is Tiffany. And this is Leah. And, and we're, we're in the Observation Bubble. Warning, some content in this podcast may be triggering. This week we're going to do something a little bit different. We find that this movie is a bit too personal to actually put a number on. Yeah. So instead of giving this movie a rating, we're just going to talk about it. Honey Boy, from 2019, a drama, a young actor's stormy childhood and early adult years as he struggles to reconcile with his father and deal with his mental health. That's it. From IMDb, yeah. Woo, IMDb did it again! <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even go to Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I didn't, I didn't delve too deep into the everything. Yeah. Because knowing that it's so close to someone's life, like, I didn't want to overanalyze yeah i watched it and i thought i don't have much to say about this just because i knew that it was someone's story or very mm-hmm. close to it it's difficult to have an opinion about somebody's life yes that's how i felt yeah we can have opinions on the quality of the film mm-hmm. or the actors or anything but it all still feels too close i will say i thought it was a good movie yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the acting in it. Some moments were a little, eh, you know. But how lots of movies have those things. I feel like I've been sleeping on Shia LaBeouf. You, I, um, you think I have been too? <laughs> not necessarily you, but like myself as well. Like, because there was a time there he did Even Stevens mm-hmm. to then go in and do in Holes, to do in Transformers. At some point in time, there was Disturbia thrown in the mix. Mm-hmm. And then it's like he just, oh, and then there was an Indiana Jones film. Oh, yeah, that happened too. Yeah. And then after that, it's like I lost complete track of him until 2019. Yeah. For me, once again, not a child of the Disney Channel or (laughs) or the Nickel, anything like that. Yeah. So my first Shia LaBeouf experience was Disturbia. Mm -hmm. I didn't see holes or anything like that. It was Disturbia. And I really liked him. I really enjoyed him as an actor. I thought he was funny. And evoked the right emotions at the right times, I guess is what I'll say. He was effective. So it wasn't like I was avoiding him like I do some actors. Like, I just oh, don't. like who, Leah? Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just, Enough said. I'll just out and out say Tom Cruise. So I wasn't avoiding him. I just, I don't know. I did watch one Transformers movie and the beginning of a second one and mm-hmm. then... That was it. You know, I think I was about the same with the Transformers. It just, it wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Because I like action flicks. I do too. Yeah, yeah, I like shit that goes boom. Right. But at the same time, there's only so much, like, cars turn into... There's but only so space many... Space robots. Yeah, there's only so many space robots that I can take. I was just focused on other things, probably, at the time, and just didn't get into that. Um, but now I feel like I've been missing out on Shia. I mean, mm-hmm. I saw, you know, you saw the memes... And all the stuff that popped up. And I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what yeah, was going just on. Just do it! Yeah. I, I, yeah. You couldn't miss that. <laughs> I didn't know what was, you know, going on with him. What he was doing with his life. Anything like that. I didn't follow him like that. And now I feel like I've been sleeping on him. Yeah. I've been asleep. <laughs> I've been asleep, y'all. So he went to rehab in 2017. When was Peanut Butter Falcon? 2019. So he got arrested during that. Because I thought this all came from the arrest that happened during Peanut Butter Falcon. He could have had more than one stint in rehab. The judge allowed him to finish making his film, which turned out to be very beneficial to LaBeouf. His co-star, Zach Gottsagen, mm-hmm. who has Down Syndrome, gave him a good talking to. To hear him say that he was disappointed in me probably changed the course of my life, LaBeouf oh. told Esquire. Wow. 
He sobered up right away, but the real work still lay ahead of him. In rehab, he underwent exposure therapy, which is designed to help patient to help the patient stop avoiding their fears and instead face them in a safe environment. He was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming at this rehab facility and whatever therapy he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, exposure therapy. And the movie talks about, it talks all about his relationship with his father. But I mean, it, it sounds like things were not great even before that time when he was living with his mother and he overheard her being attacked. Yeah. I mean, that can cause traumatic stress as well. I mean, that's more trauma. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm not saying that he needed to... He was obviously focused on his relationship with his father in this traumatic time during the filming of Even Stevens and... Mm-hmm. And the relationship with his father specifically. Yeah. There was an article that I read in which it stated that the relationship between Shia and his mother could be a whole nother movie. Mm. Yeah. And just the couple of things that I've read... And in the movie, the conversation between Shia's parents that he's having to mimic for them, I can definitely see the potential for another type of manuscript. He had more more trauma than mm-hmm. just his relationship with his father, but this is what he focused on and maybe what was affecting him the most at the time and what he was dealing with. What Just, just what came out first, maybe, you know? Right. Um, we've started in on this, and I don't think we've actually talked about... No, nothing. (laughs) Essentially, Honey Boy is a film that is based on the life of Shia LaBeouf. Especially his time when recording Even Stevens, and going into the time that he spent on Transformers. Hmm. Shia started writing this movie whenever he was in rehab. They charged him with terrorizing a cop. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess, a judge offered him four years or some time in this in this rehab which he also called a a mental mental institution mental institution yeah he said he was in there with all kinds of in there with all kinds of different uh different characters different people from i mean his his issues seem to be untreated ptsd and aggression and i think he had some substance abuse issues Mm -hmm. but he was in there with people with criminal backgrounds pedophiles pedophiles and um pyromaniacs and People with a broad range of issues. Yeah. And that part of his therapy, I guess, was writing. You know what it sounds like? What? It sounds like the place where they were wanting to put Zach in the peanut butter falcon if he were to come back. Yeah. This sounds like it was like a privately run rehab. Or at least that's that's what's portrayed the in the movie. Is given. Because in the movie you have, you're not having Shia. You have Otis, mm-hmm. played by two different actors at two different ages. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas Hedges plays him as an adult, and Noah Jupe plays him as a child, kind of even Steven's age. Yeah. Whenever they're credited in the movie, it says that Noah is Otis at age 12, and that Lucas is Otis at age, like, 22. Yeah. Lucas Hedges, as a Shia LaBeouf-like character, I, I believed it. Yeah. Like, he seemed... Much as I've been sleeping on Shia LaBeouf, he reminded me a lot of him. Listening to it, something about, I don't know if it was the cadence of his speech or anything, but he sounded like Shia LaBeouf. Yes. And Shia LaBeouf playing Otis's father, James, mm-hmm. did not sound like Shia LaBeouf to me. No. I lost Shia altogether. So that's, that's good. Well, that's what an actor wants to do. Yeah. Well, that's strategic. The reason why Shia didn't sound like himself is because he had nose plugs in the whole time. Evidently, 
And he even says that his dad did a bunch of cocaine in his younger years, mm-hmm. which destroyed his nasal cavity so he couldn't breathe out of his nose. So he would stuff his nose with earplugs. Yeah. Because whenever he tried to do it by himself, it just didn't work out. Yeah. Even once again, I'm going to use the same douchey sounding words. The cadence of his speech and everything, it, it, sometimes actors just seem to kind of bleed into a role and you can tell, oh, that's mm-hmm. still Tom Cruise being a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. But I lost Shia LaBeouf altogether. Mm-hmm. Now, like when we watched Peanut Butter Falcon, I said, I bet Shia's like that. Yeah. I bet, I, I can see him just like <laughs> being like that, but this is him country. Mm-hmm. But I lost him in this role and this was all James. In one of the interviews that we watched, he talks about how he is a prep whore. He talks about his co-star Lucas Hedges and how much of a prep whore that he was as well and the appreciation that he has for him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Lucas really tried to immerse himself in Shia's life to the point where he like moved into his house. Yeah. Shia wasn't worried about Lucas playing this character based on him correctly. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, just, just let it be. It is what it is. Play it true to you yeah. as much as anything. I mean, so that's cool. Like, you're not noting someone to death. Like, um, I wouldn't do that. I always think of uh, Tobias on Arrested Development. <laughs> they have somebody playing him on a TV show, and he's giving him notes about his cutoff shorts. Those are actually supposed to be inside. Uh, not on the outside. Anyway, so, like, you're not trying to tell someone, no, I would never say that. I would never act mm-hmm. like that. And Lucas killed it. Yeah, well, he said that he wanted to just give him the space that they needed to portray the character that they saw themselves, you know? There are some rough patches Mm -hmm. in this movie. There's some tough stuff to watch yeah, and to take in. Going into it knowing that it's based on someone's life. Someone that you, almost like you thought you knew. Yeah. As much as we think we know an actor or actress. It kind of just proves that you don't, just because you see them on screen, you don't know who they are and what they've been through. And I guess I've always kind of known that in the back of my head, but this really drove it home. Like, you hear their stories, but seeing this was, seeing it, like, dramatized. Yeah, like, having it laid out for you is something completely different. I mean, I watched Even Stevens as a kid, mm-hmm. okay? Him being a child actor, working on Even Stevens, you know that he was getting paid bank. Mm-hmm. At least I would assume. And to know that while he was portraying the character of Louis Stevens, he was living in a motel with his father. Yeah. Like, a rundown motel. Yeah. In the movie, they're living in a, a pretty, like, rundown motel where there's one washer and dryer for everybody to use and you have to vie for the time to use it. Mm-hmm. And um, the community around you maybe isn't the best. Yeah. A little seedy. Yeah. So the assumption is not that, that that's how it was for Shia. And with him making that kind of money, yes, they were there, I guess, for proximity to set mm-hmm. at some point to start out with. But you'd think that maybe his dad would have tried to find something more permanent for him, something better for yeah. him as a, as something a parent more should. Private, you know? Yeah. I thought that it was interesting because this movie was actually shot in a linear sequence. So it was supposed to start out as starting as Otis at the age of 12, going through... Until he is an adult. Mm -hmm. And then he goes back and sees his dad. Well, in editing the film, Alma Harrell made the executive decision that instead of the movie staying linear, that she was going to kind of chop it up and not really rewrite it, but just lay it out differently in that. Yeah. And I think that it's cool how the opening sequences of Lucas getting blown back from... A Transformers set. 
you know that's what it is. Yeah. And the struggle that he was having, taking the harness off, just the whole situation that he was in after the shooting of that specific part in the movie. Whenever you first meet Otis at the age of 12, it's him getting a pie thrown in his face and then him being pulled back from the Even Steven set. Also wearing a harness and him leaning on his father to help him take his harness off. Mm -hmm. What I didn't say before (laughs) was that as an adult, the character of Otis... He doesn't have that that father figure to help him take that harness off and yeah. to aid him in after the shoot. So then you see him really having a hard time trying to take it off himself, trying to do everything himself, where he just gets frustrated and just completely angry. And then eventually some chick comes in and helps him out. And then they start doing stuff like grown folk do. And I I think that that could kind of be like a, that that can kind of embody what his life was at that time. Yeah. He didn't have his father to lean on. So instead, he was trying to do stuff himself, getting frustrated, Mm -hmm. turning towards alcohol because he drank heavily in that scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would turn towards alcohol and in turn also chicks. Or could it be like... When he was young, he had his father to do things for him, but at some point, he learned that he couldn't depend on his father, mm-hmm. so he had to do for himself. And the stress that that puts on you, having to do it all yourself, feeling like you don't have someone to help you, could have contributed to drinking and acting out and all those things. Right. Because promptly after that is him in the car with the chick and getting into an accident, flipping the flipping the car. Yeah. You know, and getting out, police officer like puts him up against the car and he's belligerent, completely belligerent, talking all kinds of shit to the officer, which is definitely not helping him in this situation. Yeah. He ends up saying stuff like, do you know who I am? Do you know how good I am at what I do? Yeah. You know, like just that arrogant personality. Which eventually lands him into the rehab facility that he's at instead of serving those four years in prison. Yeah. They're trying to do different kinds of therapy with him and using different uh, techniques and he's bucking the system. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to... Um, well, first they tell him that he has PTSD. Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't. What, well, I, I don't, mean, you think Only of, soldiers have that. Yeah, you think of PTSD, you think of um, soldiers or sometimes cops. Mm-hmm. Um people who have gone through very obvious traumatic situations, victims of abuse, um, like probably 9-11 survivors. Things traumatize you without even thinking. I've had a doctor tell me they think I had PTSD and then I had someone tell me I didn't have PTSD because I didn't, I didn't cop to any trauma apparently. She was asking me about being abused and shit and I was like, no. She's like, well then you don't have PTSD. There's different forms. I know. She didn't seem to think so. So, um, but I have been in therapy and we've talked through trauma that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've dealt with that. But they're going through these different techniques to teach him how to deal with his PTSD. He doesn't believe he has it mm-hmm. because so many people, so many people think that, that you can't have PTSD if you didn't go through these very specific, obviously traumatic things. And yeah. that's, that's just not true. We all have trauma in our lives in different ways and we all have to learn to deal with it in different ways. And, um, 
they're trying to find what works for him through different methods. They have talk therapy. There's a session in a pool. Mm-hmm. There's a, a knitting room. <laughs> the knitting room definitely did not go over very well. Um, my favorite was when he was he was being like a smart ass and saying when they were doing hug yourself in the pool. He's like, this won't work. You can't do this everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. being a smart ass. I know a lot of people like that who'd be like, oh, shit, no. Not gonna, yeah, I'm looking yeah. at one right now. Um, <laughs> I don't believe this will work. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'd be in the pool hugging my own ass, you know, like <laughs> trying to do the shit. Um, but the uh, therapist mm-hmm. uh, who is leading this exercise says, go out into the woods and just scream at the top of your lungs. And when he eventually does this, I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I thought about doing it myself. What would that feel like? Um, if I just went out in the middle of nowhere and thought no one could hear me and just started screaming. Yeah. And all the things that would come to my mind to make myself scream like that. Right. It, it's something that would definitely help to get some of that off your chest. Yeah. That stuff that you've had built up that you don't want to show everybody. And if you don't take that time to... get those emotions out then they just weigh on you and eventually well they just weigh on you and they just continue to eat at you yeah now me myself i've had moments where which mine isn't you know i went out in the woods and screamed but i know that i've done the pillow thing you know Mm -hmm. screaming into a pillow Mm -hmm. it's not as quiet as you think it is it's really not (laughs) Uh, I mean, I myself, I've dealt with some form of anger issues, or at least I believe that I have. I mean, I've never been to a doctor about anything, but I used to punch myself in the leg. Anytime that I got really mad, I would Mm -hmm. punch myself in the leg as hard as I could multiple, multiple, multiple times. Like, I mean, I would have bruises on my legs from where I'm punching myself and just to kind of balance myself even myself out to bring myself back down yeah um so yeah 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 uh well you know we all have i can't i don't know where to go yeah we we Um, all have our stuff they uh eventually get around to telling him to to write Mm. and write things down but when he does go out into the woods and screams they cut it with him screaming with young Otis screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like two different types of screams. Yeah. It shows where he's at in his life. Mm-hmm. Before, I think, I think you kind of see through the this movie, the real breaking of his relationship with his father. Um, because in, in the beginning, he's hopeful. He wants his father around. Um, and by the end, you realize it's, you realize how unhealthy their situation is and how kind of toxic it is. Yeah. Because to me, it's two people who desperately want each other's affection. Two people who desperately want each other's approval. They just don't know how to get it from the other person. In a healthy way. Yeah. Like the only way that they have to communicate towards each other, or one of the only times that they truly talk about it, is the big blow up of the movie. Young Otis is talking to his dad and asks him to be a better father. 
which yes, I believe that he was wanting a male figure in his life that was strong, independent, and could give him good life advice and had experience to back it up. Yeah. That's not the cards that he was dealt. So whenever he approaches his father and he asks him or tells him that he wants him to be a better dad and James in knowing that these are things that he's not the best at, it seems as if he's constantly fighting himself and wanting to be better. And whenever your kid throws it in your face and lets you know that you're sucking. Yeah. That's whenever shit explodes. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like it's two people who desperately want the other to love them. But they don't understand how. It seems like James wants to do right by and wants to do his best for his son. And maybe at points thinks he is. Mm -hmm. But most of the time he doesn't know how to do what's best for his son. Because if he was, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in, in living situation wise he when he's tried to find wise. more stability for him he wouldn't talk to him the way he does at some point telling him that he's got a small a small wiener yeah and how it's his mom's fault and he won't have a big one like him it's just but and to hear that that is actually something that happened in real life yeah different type of scenario but the same message delivered from yeah. father to son. He was three to four years old whenever his father said that to him. Mm-hmm. So that's something that he was growing up with that in the back of his mind. Yeah. In which he says that that is something that he's always fought with. He has always had issues with... Like he says confidence Yeah, like he says in, with getting naked in front of chicks. Yeah. His father put that doubt into him. Fed that insecurity into him. Yeah, like him. he felt he wasn't good About enough. something he couldn't help. Yeah. I enjoy listening to Shia LaBeouf in this character and in his character in Peanut Butter Falcon. Tyler. He just gets talking and he talks really fast. Mm-hmm. And he talks just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> not talking a lot and not saying anything. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, it was a little little meaner. Yeah. A lot meaner. Because other than, you know, burning up someone's entire livelihood, he was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, he's pretty alright. James... Is not. He says he's in recovery, but you get the feeling that it's not, like, true recovery because he's not completely sober. He goes to meetings. He's not drinking, maybe, but maybe something else is going on. Well, because he's planting the the marijuana. Yeah, that's what we find out eventually, and he's got to be sampling that. Which he does. Yeah, at the end. Yeah. After he's already fucked up and smoked, like, meth or cocaine or something at the strip club. I forgot about that. It just... Maybe if I had seen this... Not knowing that it was close to real events in an actor's life. I don't know how I would have felt about it. Yeah. I knew that I didn't like how the how James talked to his son, Otis. Mm-hmm. It was very clear on that. Because even as he was trying to encourage him and do his best, it was still not in a really good, kind, parental yeah, way. kind of condescending. Yeah. Like, the very first time you see young Otis and James... It's when he's trying to get his harness off after the pie in the face shot backwards. And he's asking his dad to take his harness off. When he says something, he says, fuck. He's like, hey, hey, hey. James has been trying to talk up this chick here. Mm -hmm. This lady. And um, talking about being a chicken wrangler rodeo clown. Yeah. You know what the white part in the middle of chicken shit is? (laughs) It's more chicken shit. And he's like, (laughs) you got a number? Yeah. Can I have? 
Can I have your number? Um, <laughs> Otis just wants to be let out of his harness, and he says, fuck, something. And he's like, hey, watch that language. Now apologize to this lady. Yeah. I was like, excuse me, dude, you were just ignoring your kid to hit this lady up. Like yeah, The only time that he would give him attention is whenever he does something wrong. negative. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's rough. It's not good for the children's. Yeah. That kind of sets you up. For, like, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, maybe he's. Maybe it's just like a one-off thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. he's just in this moment really trying to hit up this lady, but he's doing good by his kid, telling him to watch his language and everything, and then they ride off on the motorcycle, and when they get to the hotel, motel, and... Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, um, then you start to see them interact again, and you can tell it's not as wholesome as it might have tried to seem in the very beginning. At least, I don't know, maybe that was me being naive. Whenever they were driving home from set on the back of the motorcycle, Otis starts to fall asleep. Yeah. Which is fucking wild. Okay? Like, how are you going to fall asleep on the back of a motorcycle that only shows how tired that this kid is? Yeah. He wakes himself up every morning, does everything for his dad, goes to work. He's exhausted. Yeah. Seeing this stuff really starts to make you think about child actors. Mm Mm-hmm. Even all the way down to, like, the reality shows, like TLC shows. They're not acting, but they are still in a situation that their parents have put them in mm-hmm. where they're on screen and their entire lives are out there. Yeah. It's, well, that's uh, just like these YouTube channels, the family YouTubers. Yeah. People have like caught wind of that recently about how people are exploiting their children mm-hmm. for views on YouTube. Yeah. The children are too young to consent mm-hmm. to them being put out on the internet for any and everybody to see. It's just what the parents want to do. And it's not policed no. on YouTube. There are at least child labor laws for filming movies and TV. There is no such beast on YouTube. But even within that, it still feels like a a kind of child exploitation. And look how many child actors have issues. Substance abuse, Mm. mental health. Look at Amanda Bynes, Lindsay Lohan. The Corys. Oh, yes. Um... 80s throwback. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna gonna go ahead and say Michael Jackson. I'm gonna go ahead and say the Olsen twins. Damn it, yes. I fucking loved the Olsen twins. Yes. My childhood would not have been the same without them. No. But I, I'm sorry that everything they went through, they didn't have a childhood. Like, what would be an appropriate age? I don't know. How old was Shia when he landed even Stevens? I think he was like 11 or 12. That's It's not for me to say. It's the same thing like with pageants and stuff. You know, putting your kids out there like that so young. The fact that there's even an option for a pageant for a two-year-old. Or younger. It. Yeah. I don't understand that. <laughs> Going back to last week's episode. <laughs> pageant. Yes. And the creepers. Yeah. Who are judges. That's exactly it. It's not excluded whenever the kids are younger. Mm-hmm. And you think about that like in your own personal life with your... Your MySpace, your Facebook, your Twitter, Instagram, all the things. So when you age with the MySpace. <laughs> Listen, I'm on the downside of 31. It is what it is at this point. It's hard, like, if you have a kid that wants to be an actor and wants to do all this, but you think in your personal life, you don't want to put your kid out there too much because you don't know who's looking. You want to privatize everything. Meanwhile, there are people putting their kids out there all the time for people right. to see at the at the expense of, oh, it's their dream. They want to be an actor or an actress. Like, okay, when a kid wants to be a dentist or a brain surgeon, that actual training, schooling happening starts later. Mm-hmm. They do regular school as kids do. And then 
they kind of try to go their path. So like what you start making movies and TV shows with no kids in them. It's a, it's a weird line that I'm not, I, I, it's not for me to say, but if it's not handled correctly on the part of the parents, it seems to be really devastating for the kids when they become adults. Correct. One of my favorite moments between Otis and James is, well, I'm not going to say necessarily one of my favorite parts, but whenever they're out getting tacos at the street taco place. Mm-hmm. T- taco truck. Yeah. And Otis is being recognized by some of the younger people around. James tells Otis how jealous that he is of him. And he talks about what types of chicks that he could pull and says something about not like the stuff that you could get. He's like, I'm talking about like real women, distinguished women, like Dolly Parton. (laughs) And Otis starts to laugh. He's like, hey, what's funny about that? Dolly Parton's got her shit together. You know, she's got her own theme park. You ain't got a theme park. (laughs) I just thought that it was hilarious that Dolly Parton is James's ideal woman. Now, don't get me wrong. Dolly's awesome. She is. She's, like, single-handedly improved the literacy in her uh, hometown county. Yeah, because she's got her own, like, program? Yeah, it's like a program. You can uh, get free books sent to you for for your kid for, like, yeah, for, like, life. Yeah. Um, I I like her. She's, I'm a fan. I love Jolene. It's one one of the two songs of hers that I know. I don't even know what the other one is. What, I will always love you. Oh, yeah. I know that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. I know another one. I know Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I knew the, I knew the cover better. Get a superstar. That is what you are. Yeah, I know that one better, but... Um, and then I found out it was... The tune was Islands in the Stream. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> Dolly Parton did not sing Ghetto Superstar, but all right, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> so, um... I want to say my favorite scene is not because it was like, oh, cute, lighthearted, whatever. Um, It was actually kind of devastating. A heavy scene? Yeah, it was heavy. Otis, (laughs) um, his mom calls uh, talking about how he's got to go up to Vancouver for some kind of shoot and this other guy who's been a, a bone of contention between him and his dad through the whole movie, Tom, mm-hmm. who we find out at one point is um, his big brother in the like in the big brother in the big program. brother's program. And James warns him at some point to stay away from his son when he's been doing good for his son, yeah. doing the things that James should be doing for his own son. Yeah, it brings out those insecurities that James has. Yeah, but he's not willing to fix. Yeah. So she's talking about how Tom can get their passports and Tom can do all this and James loses it. Uh, Otis tries to give him the phone and he refuses to talk to her and says, no, tell her this. Mm-hmm. Or, no, um, it starts with his mom. Otis's mom says, tell him this word for word and she starts saying all these things that she wants to say to James things that Otis should not hear no Otis should be nowhere near this conversation and then James says tell her this back and Otis starts I, I don't know if it's like it's like he part, like, try, like he tries to dissociate kind of yeah and um starts acting the parts he does his mom's voice, he does mm-hmm. James's voice to each other, over each other, until finally James snaps and grabs the phone from him and yells at her himself and Otis runs, runs out, out of the room and just starts just in tears and just overwhelmed. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I stopped what I was doing and paid attention to that part because it hurt yeah. to see. Just to hear. Yeah. You know, like just all of it. And then that actually leads up to Noah Jupe's favorite part or a favorite scene of acting in this movie. 
was whenever he goes to like the back parking lot with the broke down cars and stuff and he just goes fucking ham and starts bashing them and smashing all the windows and mm. stuff like that. He said that it felt, it was very therapeutic for him. Cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, these actors, they immerse themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you immerse yourself in this role with all this painful stuff, it can bring up stuff of your own. Or even if it's something you haven't experienced and you're experiencing it for the first time. It's still it's heavy. It's, yeah. It hurts. And you've got to get that out of your system, too. Which I think is very cool. That at the end of every scene, especially like the heavier scenes between Shia and Noah, after those scenes, they would make sure to hug it out. Yeah. Like, they took time to... Make sure they were okay. Yeah, just to be each other's rock in those situations. Did we mention that Shia was playing his own father? Or the character based on his father? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he is. And I think that's tough when that's your source of the trauma. Yeah. To put yourself in that role and maybe even kind of feel what they were feeling. To where you empathize. Yeah. With someone that gave you the trauma that's a whole nother level of exposure therapy like this whole thing was feels like it's a piece of his his therapy his coming to terms with what he's dealt with and what he has to deal with going forward right and it kind of i guess it kind of led to him reconnecting with his father after such a long time there that that helped improve their Mm -hmm. relationship that they have a relationship now yeah because before filming this movie shia said that he and his father hadn't talked for seven years yeah now, in one of the interviews that we watched, he said that he had just talked to him earlier in the day. Yeah. And talks about how good of a guy that he is. So, He's a sweet old man now, he yeah, said. Yeah. It was very good for him, and I feel in turn it was also very good for his father. Yeah. Because now his father feels understood, which is something that could have been potentially in the way of their relationship before. And hopefully he understands Shia and Shia's pain. Yeah. I want to say that... I forgot, like I told, I said I, I lost Shia. Mm-hmm. It was just the character. It was just James. Until it would focus and like show his face. Yeah, those close-ups. Like close-ups, like when he was in an, at a meeting and explaining his personal history and how devastating that was and how it led to his addiction and him being here. Right. He would show Shia's face and he's got this, <sighs> okay, this is going to be bad. He's got like um, <sighs> a Buffalo Bill kind of haircut. <laughs> it's like kind of bald on top and long yeah everywhere else he's got big glasses on and like like john lennon style glasses and you've seen him from the side and his voice is different and his, the, his speech is different so i like lose. the way that he walks the his yeah. whole demeanor everything everything is different. is different he transformed himself however he could into this character very much like his father mm-hmm. and i would be fully immersed in that until they showed shia directly on and then i'm like oh his face is so thin i think partially because i'm in my mind it was kind of buffalo bill like <laughs> because of the hair and then they would focus on shia and i'd see his glasses and i'm like oh that is shia labeouf <laughs> like i forgot until then and then it would it wouldn't take me out of the story or anything but it would just be like a moment like oh that is him Right. Oh shit, he's playing his father, who is a big part of this PTSD that he's dealing with through this movie. Mm. A lot of sources call this movie like a auto... Is it autobiopic? Uh, semi-autobiographical. Yeah. A semi-autobiographical... A biopic, is that what you mean? Uh-huh. An autobiograph... Auto... Autobiographic... <laughs> <laughs> biopic is like biographic... So autobiopic? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Did I just make up a new word? I maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but 
instead of referring to it as whatever the hell it is we're trying to say, he refers to it as a meta exorcism because he says that in filming this movie and in writing this movie, he said it felt like an exorcism for himself. Mm-hmm. All of those demons that were weighing on him, he was able to get those out and breathe freely. And I felt like that was super powerful. Yeah. Also, the fact that this movie was shot in 19 days. They only had 19 days to shoot this movie. Yeah. Especially with the Michael Bay type Transformers intro. <laughs> like, they, and they did that in one shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the fact that they were able to pull something like that off, as well as get all of this together... Now, the actors did spend time with each other before the actual filming of the movie, like months. But didn't he say that this was like, they started putting things together, um, like maybe actors and stuff, like two weeks out of his getting out of rehab. Yeah. So it was boom, 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 let's go. Yeah. But before they actually started filming the movie, the actors had been around each other for months in preparation for the movie. Prep war. Prep wars. All of them. (laughs) And I just thought that, that was cool. And the fact that Alma Harrell is the director of the movie. And he said that Alma is the only person in the industry who would still talk to him during this time. Yeah. And to me, it seems like whenever you're in that type of situation, that's whenever you would need your friends to show up and show out. Yeah. Not go away. The fact that she stuck with him, I think is amazing. Yeah. Talking about all the actors spending time together, that was genius move get to know each other because they were going to have to be like super vulnerable mm-hmm. in front of each other in these these roles yeah and, these uh, like raw type of scenes yeah that was a smart move yeah <laughs> i concur <laughs> um there's something else i was gonna say though that he he reached out to mel gibson <laughs> yeah another uh, he said a fellow hollywood fuck up <laughs> um they get you know like from one fuck up to another can you read this and mel gibson loved it said he wouldn't play it but he, he yeah. loved it totally he, honest i would would not have liked as much if mel gibson were in it so just gonna uh, put that out there concur yeah. <laughs> uh, also the fact that they didn't yell cut or action at all they just kind of set the cameras up and let it go yeah that is so like to me it's unheard of so far outside our understanding of how the the movie, industry works movie production works yeah. yeah and just to like let it go and then you crop out what you like and what you don't like and how he was talking about the lighting person was manipulating the lights in real time as the actors were acting yeah so it's like they all had to feed off of each other and really understand how they move mm mm-hmm. mhm that shit fucking blew my mind whenever I heard that. It's so far outside of what we understand Hollywood production to be. That right. it's very start, go, end, print. Right. Which has always been weird to me, especially when you get to the movies with like the, the doing the, the adult things. <laughs> and for it to just be so like fluid. Yeah. And how this is filmed. Wild. Fucking wild. I feel like they did their own thing and it, it works. Mm-hmm. Now, something that I found interesting that I had no idea about until right before we were before we were recording this and came across an interview was that there is a Honey Boy podcast. Yeah. Which I find interesting because it's the actors talking about the movie, Shia talking about what got him to 
those scenes in the movies. Movie. <laughs> um, film. Yeah, film. Now, I obviously I haven't listened to it. Yeah, I really wish we'd known about it sooner. <laughs> Damn. Damn. <laughs> I also find it intriguing that the podcast was recorded in October and November of 2019, but yet the movie came out in January of 2019. Huh. Yeah, so that's like seven, six to seven months. Pretty removed. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it was in trying to continue the hype for the film. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's when it came out on DVD or DVD, Blu-ray, <laughs> streaming, VHS, <laughs> beta. <laughs> Laser disc? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe that was part of that kind of hype. When it when it became available to the public, not in theaters. <laughs> Very well, Back Gunnar when Man. going to theaters was a thing. Is there more that you want to talk about? Um, we did. We watched a video on the YouTubes. Yeah. About references to even Stevens, which really uh, pointed out that the things that happened with young Otis and James were reflecting sort of a mirror time. to what was yeah. going on at the time of even Stevens. And another credit to Shia LaBeouf and his acting that you don't know anything. It doesn't bleed right. into anything, which I mean, it's their job, but I I don't know. I'm just really still reeling like the fact the I've detail. been... Yeah. And what he put into this film and from what he pulled from even Stevens, which was shot forever ago yeah just remembering that yeah part of me like wants to go back and watch even stevens but at the same time i don't want to i feel like this has left me with this appreciation for shia and his work even now as a writer obviously um let alone an actor and i look forward to things coming from in the future i might not want to go back and see his things in the past, I, I'm probably still going to watch Disturbia. Oh, for sure. I like that one. Yeah. Um, Holes is good, too. I've heard that. I yeah. have not I have not seen it. But, like, I feel like I don't need to go back and see a lot of his older stuff when he was in that space. And now that he's in a better space, I just look forward to what he's coming from. Even in interviews, I like listening to him. His mm-hmm. speech, the way he describes things. He talks about how he was trying to get something out. And it was he said it was stuck in the mud. It, the truth couldn't see the truth like it wouldn't come to the light yeah and um his uh sort of uh, um, poetic kind of like like a visual way of speaking like he's he's describing what he sees this as like he can see this situation is muddy mm-hmm. and unclear and he's describing it's very descriptive just yes according to refinery 29.com on shia's mom's website it says the subject matter is Boldly, the representation of the primordial mystery as incarnated in the magical child, the evanescent life of butterflies, the preciousness of nature, and the wisdom of the eternal feminine. Sounds pretty dope. Yeah. Honestly. And it says on here that this should tell you exactly where Shia LaBeouf got his penchant for grandiose statements. Yeah. Just something in the way he words things. Yeah. It's not like your average... Go. Like, it's like the difference in, okay, so after watching Hamilton, I tried to read the book that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda based it on. And if you read letters written in that time period, in the 1700s, grandiose speech and writing is very much that, that where now we would use a 10 word sentence, they will use 30. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, he doesn't do that a lot, but it's just, he's more, he's just verbose more descriptive is not and, yeah. the word I want either. 
I don't know, but I like the way he speaks. Yes. It's kind of it's kind of trippy. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like he's just painting a picture yeah. with his words. He calls people wizards. Yeah. And uh, talks about these awkward, beautiful moments on set. And yeah. And references this movie getting picked up as a unicorn or like a mermaid. Yeah. Like, just very... Pretty. He talked pretty. He talked pretty. He talked real pretty. <laughs> he pretty. He talked pretty. He make pretty movie. He got a pretty mouth. <laughs> so, like, IMDb, it has a 7.3 rating. Stars. 7.3 stars. Yeah. I want to say I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought the acting was great. I thought it had really kind of beautiful moments. Yeah. And it had a lot of heavy, deep, thought-provoking and painful moments mm-hmm. and i liked it i don't know if i would watch it again but i definitely would recommend it to other people yeah i definitely think that it's a good movie for people to see at least once yeah and i think in the future i will not be sleep on shia labeouf no. i will seek him out <laughs> because obviously he has stories that i want to hear and i want to see him tell stories right so we want to hear from you still we always want to hear from you um, any movies that you think are underrated, um, underwatched, underappreciated, we want to know what they are. We want you to tell us and we'll watch them and we'll talk about them. Or if you want, you have a movie that you think you might want to see, but you don't want to bother watching or you want to know more about, like maybe you wanted to know about Honey Boy, but you didn't think you could watch it. Here you go. Um, send us an email at theobservationbubble at gmail.com and let us know what you want us to hear or see and do and watch. Yep. I just want to close this out with a quote from the film, which is also a quote from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is something that James says and references in the film. It reads, those actions that once made you feel completely ashamed and totally discouraged will allow you to share with other people how to be a useful human being. And I just thought those words were beautiful. So I would like to end here with that. Good night, friends.